to the CTSnet Beat podcast with myself, Joel Dunning, Editor-in-Chief of CTSnet. This edition is quite a special edition because we are facing a grave situation. We're in fact going to cover two extremely important topics in this podcast that you really need to listen to. If you're a Kydex surgeon worldwide, uh, we're going to tell you all about why you need to listen to the new information just coming out about the guidelines for chronic coronary artery disease by the ACC and the AHA. We're also covering a recall notice of an aortic valve. We've got videos for you and uh, other articles, but we will start uh, with these very important pieces of information. So don't go away. Uh, we highlighted the fact that the new 2023 ACC AHA guidelines for chronic coronary disease have been published. Uh, This is a really large piece of work. It updated their 2011 guidelines, which were 10 years old, but also um, it looked back at the 2021 guidelines for revascularization. Now, we also provided a taster of an interview with Faisal Bakin telling us why they got it so wrong. This is a really important and serious situation because what's happened is that uh, this guideline group um, has ignored the advice of the surgeons on that group that uh, downgrading CABG versus medical therapy from 1 to 2A in patients with moderate impaired LV function or normal LV function was incorrect and flawed Um, but they pressed on they pressed on they've published it they perpetuated the mistake of the 2021 guidelines and in the article we are highlighting today in our jans this is the annals of thoracic surgery rebuttal of those guidelines by our leadership this is a really important article it's free full text you have to click on it right now i really recommend you read it because uh, the aats and the sts leadership have got together uh, to highlight exactly why they have got it incorrect and this is really important you need to know this when you're going into your heart team MDTs. You need to know why they have misinterpreted the ischemia trial. They've put too much weighting on it. Why they have misinterpreted meta-analyses, including the ischemia trial that hardly had any CABG patients in it. They have a completely incongruous situation in their guidelines in that they agree that CABG is superior to PCI um, in MACE, but then they don't agree that CABG is grade one better than medical therapy. So it's completely uh, does not add up. And uh, Faisal Bakin and our leadership, Mark Ruel as well, uh, and many others have uh, put their uh, name to this article to try and fight back at this. And so this really is an important time for our specialty. I was so delighted to see that our leadership is getting together to fight for us. We all know that uh, there's only one cardiac surgeon for every seven cardiologists and and so it's really important that we don't roll over that we do stand up for we know is right because it will make a difference to patients lives Um, as highlighted in this article that you should read um, 
waiting until patients are iller and sicker and need urgent treatment uh, is actually life-threatening to them. We all know that people have worse outcomes if they're done on an urgent basis or if they have poorer LV function. And yet that's what the guidelines are pointing towards. They're not saying it's a grade one indication for CABG when you've got severe triple vessel disease with more than 70% stenosis of your LAD, which they should be doing. So uh, so it's... it's uh, are really important. It's entitled the STS AATS endorsed rebuttal to the 2023 ACC AHA chronic coronary disease guideline, a missed opportunity to present accurate and comprehensive revascularization recommendations. Um, so please get in contact. This is really important for our specialty. We need to uh, work out how we are going to proceed, how we can get these guidelines changed. Um, it's not likely that they're going to change these guidelines or, or so should we come up with our own guidelines uh, and will they be heeded uh, in our heart team meetings. So take a look at this article, really important, and let us know what you think and maybe let's make a plan for how we together as a specialty go forwards uh, in opposition uh, to this, uh, this issue. The second really important uh, news item that we are highlighting for you is an urgent recall of a valve. The Abbott trifecta valve um, has just been recalled. The FDA um, are, are putting out a notice to let everybody know uh, that uh, we should not be selling or distributing trifecta aortic surgical valves um, in the USA and really worldwide. Um, now, the reason for this is that uh, there is a, an increased res risk of structural valve degeneration with these valves. Um, and, uh, and also, uh, it's really important for you to know what to do. If you've placed a patient with an, a trifecta valve, um, we need to keep a closer eye on them. And maybe we need to inform those patients that there is an increased risk of structural valve deterioration. Um, it uh, brings up a really important issue that uh, every single biological valve has an inherent uh, life to it. Um, we all see in our in our magazines and from our reps that the best new thing is coming out all the time. But um, but we really have to be cognizant of the fact that you don't know how long a biological valve is going to last in a human until you put a load of biological valves in a human and wait seven to ten years. Uh, and so it's really important for us all to be having monitoring systems to try and identify early structural valve deterioration risks. This does actually remind me of an article that I wrote in 2017 in JAMA where we took the whole of the British database, the whole national registry, and we searched it for redo surgery for biological valves. Uh, and actually we were surprised to see that two valves uh, were having early structural valve deterioration and were having to be replaced quicker, statistically more significantly than other valves on our national database. One of those was the Sorin Mitroflow, which then led to a recall. So... I think the message of the urgent recall of the trifecta valve is that we must have national surveillance programs. We must know as early as possible if valves are coming out. And it's more complicated these days. In 2017, when we looked at redo AVR, um, it was all on our database. But obviously now, uh, probably the most common redo is going to be a TAVA TAVA. So we actually have to search two databases. We've got to link them up and we've actually got to have a maybe even a quarterly or certainly annual uh, review 
view of structural valve deterioration of all valves uh, so that we can identify ones that don't function as we wish. So take a look at that. Uh, it's It's got really good and important lessons. And, and from me, the take home message is always trust the valve with the longest long-term durability, if at all possible. Now within that, there's nuances uh, because some are very good in small roots, etc., etc. But do remember, uh, the ones with the best durability data might be the most durable. The third article that we are highlighting in Jans this week uh, is, at last, some good news. Uh, good news for patients having adult congenital heart disease uh, operations, because up till now there hasn't been a very good risk prediction model. Uh, there's been a paediatric congenital disease risk model, and then there's the STS adult uh, model. But the STS adult model actually specifically excludes people having congenital heart disease, because obviously... Um, it really isn't relevant suddenly a, a 35 year old having a pulmonary valve replacement, you know, just doesn't fit uh, with our standard risk modelling. Uh, but we're really delighted to see that in the annals of thoracic surgery this month, uh, Jennifer Nelson and uh, many, many others have got together to create this uh, brilliant new risk scoring system. This was actually presented uh, in San Diego in January at the 59th annual meeting uh, and was the James Tweddle Memorial Paper for Congenital Cardiac Surgery because it is so important. So they have fully taken uh, all the risk um, covariates of the adult model and all the ones of the congenital one. Uh, this was a really big piece of work. They took 192,000 patients, operated on over a decade, uh, split them 60-40 as a, a derivation and validation data set and came up with a really good model that's better than the STS model that just purely for adults. And how does it work? Well, quite simply, um, you use all the covariates you might be used to, age, creatinine, LV function. But on top of that, uh, it's got extra covariates. So if you're doing a ROS procedure or if you're doing, uh, if you've got a VSD in there or a coarctation or a tricuspid valve replacement or, or, or ASDs or any one of those little things, then, then you can tick those boxes and that will just tweak uh, the, more the, the mortality prediction, which is really great and really useful. And the best thing about this paper, which I really like, as they said at the end, um, implementation with an online risk calculator is planned for the near future. So well done, uh, really good job. Uh, if you do any adult uh, congenital work, go straight on as soon as this uh, online calculator is there so you can better inform your patients about uh, their risks. So those were our three papers. Uh, do take a look at them and our Jans. Uh, look out for the emails and click on them now. And I'll just hand over to the CTSNet office to tell you what else there is on our website this week. Submissions are now open for CTSNet's annual innovation video competition. The competition rewards surgeons at the cutting edge of cardiothoracic surgery with a $1,000 cash prize, a prominent feature on CTSNet, and an exclusive interview with the judges. Submit your videos showcasing creative solutions, novel surgical approaches, and technological advances in CT surgery by August 31st, 2023, for a chance to win. For more information, visit ctsnet.org slash innovation video competition. 
So in our video content this week, we are concentrating on the pulmonary artery. Uh, we have an adult giant aneurysm, we have a paediatric uh, pulmonary artery stenosis, and we have a thoracic pulmonary artery uh, incision and cutting. So just a coincidence really, but I thought that was quite amusing. The first video uh, from Mohammed El Diri, uh, Tom Reese, uh, David Campbell and Mohamed Aftab is a really good video on a huge pulmonary artery aneurysm uh, and they replace this with a vascular prosthesis. The patient also has a PFO, they also have coronary artery disease so they need to do two grafts as well. Um, now in my uh, cardiac surgery career I never actually ever saw somebody with a giant PA aneurysm. Uh, the video doesn't discuss it but, but actually I don't actually have any concept of how big does a a PA aneurysm have to be before it pops or dissects or or, or what happens bad but uh, but this patient needed CABG anyway and he had a PFO and it was big it was 5.8 centimeters so the authors are presenting this 69 year old gentleman um, and uh, they have some really good 3D reconstructions of the uh, giant aneurysm going right down into the left main PA and, and right main PA. So it looked really barn door that this did need fixing. And of course, he had uh, a chronic total occlusion of the LAD and right coronary artery. So, you know, he just needed CABG as well. So I think it was very clear the indications for surgery. Um, and interestingly, having a PFO at the age of 69 as well was quite interesting. Um, it's really nicely detailed, the operation. Uh, so they, they've got a head camera and they show us uh, the, the big PA. They cut uh, the left and right main PA and cut uh, right proximally on the main PA. Uh, and they actually put a tube graph across from the left to the right main PA and then teed it uh, with a second tube graph from the main PA upwards. I thought that was really a rather elegant way uh, to do the repair and look really nice in the post-operative CT scan reconstruction. They also show very clearly the PFO, which just open the right atrium, stitch it and close it, uh, and, and two graphs. So well done, really good video, uh, excellent job. The second video uh, is in thoracics uh, and, uh, and it's actually really interesting. So uh, by Dr. Altan and Kengati Tezel. And it was really interesting because this patient was really young. Uh, they were under 50 years old. They were in their 40s, 47, and he had two nodules. So he had a cancer proven in the right middle lobe and he had a cancer proven in the left upper lobe. So, but what they did, because he was young and fit, they thought they'd do it both at the same time, but they'd also really interestingly use a sub-xiphoid uh, utility incision because then you can get the tumour out from the left and the right both through that utility incision. I've actually done that myself. It's a really useful, really good way to do it. So first of all they did a mediastinoscopy uh, and sent for frozen section to make sure they didn't have N2 disease which would probably be a bit, bit too much for this patient if they had N2 and then had bilateral surgery so that was a really good idea. They then uh, put the patient in the right, la the left lateral and did the right-sided lobectomy. They actually did just a three-arm robotic technique because uh, this was using the intuitive XI robot um, and used the assistant through the sub port to do retraction. Uh, they used a combination of uh, robotic stapling and Covidian stapling, including the small 8mm stapler, I think, uh, and got out that right middle lobe, took it out through the sub port, and then they flipped the patient onto the other side. Uh, they then proceeded to do the left upper lobectomy, but uh, interestingly, they found that the uh, tumour was really quite proximal on the uh, apico-posterior segment of the pulmonary artery. So 
they resected everything else, did the fissure, took the bronchus, and then they left the tumour on a stalk. And then they just got the stapler, they slung the main PA, they clamped uh, the distal PA, and they took a big slice of pulmonary artery with the stapler, leaving quite a thin sort of tube of pulmonary artery. And as long as that doesn't clink, kink, that's a really good idea. The other option is obviously doing a formal arterial vascular sleeve, so there's less chance of kinking, but actually that's technically very difficult. Uh, but yeah, they showed that really nicely. Um, so ending up with really just uh, six small 8mm ports, uh, both sides and one sub-ziphoid port. Great job, uh, really nice post-operative x-ray and uh, patient went home on day four. Uh, congratulations, great uh, video if you are a thoracic surgeon interested in pushing that boat out with your robot. And the final video uh, comes from our very fabulous Sammy Syed, the greatest congenital video surgeon I know. Uh, and Mina Estefanos uh, narrates this and uh, in this video it is a challenging pulmonary arterial reconstruction with off-pump reconstruction of the right pulmonary artery in an infant. It's really interesting. It's a nine-month-old infant who was born with anomalous origin of the right pulmonary artery coming from the ascending aorta. They'd had two previous operations. So the first one was to take that right pulmonary artery from the ascending aorta and put it uh, where it should be. Uh, and, then, and then unfortunately, it was stenosed after that uh, operation. Um, and uh, so again, a second operation went in and put a pulmonary homograph patching the right pulmonary artery, but that didn't work uh, and it again stenosed. So this is a video of the third operation and, uh, and, and they felt that uh, they couldn't have repeat patching. So instead, they're going to do a big, um, a big tube graft uh, and uh, and actually they're going to use Gore-Tex and the other thing they did a Lecompte manoeuvre uh, which was oh no the previous operation did a Lecompte manoeuvre so it was actually already in front of the ascending aorta uh, and so what they were going to do is they're going to dissect out distally uh, into the hyla identify the lower branches of the right uh, PA they're going to dissect proximally right to the main PA but then this was a really clever thing they didn't use bypass uh, because it's very stenosed so there was only a one millimeter lumen left uh, in this uh, right main PA so when they clamped uh, the the main PA going off to the left uh, nothing happened and so the patient was really stable so they then clamped distally put some little bulldogs on and then they could actually cut out this uh, PA without causing any cardiovascular disturbance they were ready to put them on bypass if anything should happen but nothing did so that was really elegant that I thought much better for hemostasis didn't need to heparinize too much uh, and a better and quicker recovery so they show the 12 millimeter tube graft that they put on that hopefully will last for many many years to come uh, and uh, and it looked really nice and it was through a, a fourth time stenotomy which they seem to do very nicely and elegantly congenital surgeons never scared of a redo are they uh, and uh, and a really good job so well done Sammy side that was an absolute beaut uh, of an operation and uh, and I certainly encourage you to have a look at that because I thought that was just a really elegant way uh, of uh, addressing that issue 
So in upcoming events, uh, we have a few interesting things for you. Um, on September the 4th, September the 5th in Maastricht in the Netherlands, there's going to be a Port Access Mitral um, Dry Lab training course. Uh, it's a simulated physical model of the endoscopic Port Access setup and the operator can train on the basic techniques all the way to complex repairs. So if you're interested on that, uh, the link will be below uh, and uh, click on that and go see if you can sign up to that great um, course. There is going to be an EAX segmentectomy webinar on September the 7th. It's going to be virtual and online, and I believe it's free as well. So well done, EAX. Should be really interesting. It's the third uh, in the thoracic disease domain, uh, and it's simplex, simple and complex segmentectomies. So go register today, put it in your diaries, uh, and go watch that for free. It should be really nice. Um, and then there's another course uh, in New York. It's Current Paradigms in Interventional Pulmonology. So if you want to learn a bit more about endobronchial ultrasound, advanced bronchoscopy in this new era where we've got robotic bronchoscopes, the ION, the Monarch, all sorts of things, then uh, this is the thing for you. September the 8th um, at the Zuckerman Research Center in New York. And it's online. So if you can't get up there, you can uh, register online and that would be really great. So we're going to do two things now. First of all, the honourable mention. Um, I just want to give a really big honourable mention to the sad news that uh, Mr Simon McGowan, uh, who was a wonderful Irish cardiac surgeon uh, here uh, at our side of the pond, sadly passed away unexpectedly. Um, he was a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, Belfast surgeon. He worked in the Royal Victoria Hospital. Uh, he was really active in our, our Society of Cardiothoracic Surgeons. He trained in John Hopkins and Baltimore and went to Toronto. Uh, and he had loads of leadership positions. He was programme director, SAC member. And will be remembered by so many uh, students uh, who have all arisen from Belfast for his kind uh, and patient uh, mentorship. So we're all saddened to hear of his untimely death of an extremely fit gentleman who was actually cycling uh, many, many miles, I believe, in the Pyrenees uh, when this sad event happened. So Simon McGowan, you'll be fondly remembered by many, many of us. And that comes to our final se section, which is a very special Where's Diego? Uh, so Diego was in Sierra Leone this week and uh, he was showcasing his new 4K in a suitcase endoscope. This was with his um, new foundation. He was going and doing minimally invasive thoracic surgery for the first time in Sierra Leone as he now has this amazing new uh, kit because there's virtually nothing out there. He has to use whatever he has out there. He was literally in a shack. Uh, but with his new 4K in a suit in a, in a suitcase uh, video camera, he could do minimum invasive surgery. And the second thing he shared was with us was his uh, schedule for August. He is going to four continents. He's going to 19 hospitals, and he's flying 70,000 kilometers in August. Well, hats off to the world's best trainer in thoracic surgery, Diego. So I'm going to leave you uh, with the animation of. Of Diego's August going around the world teaching thoracic surgery and for myself Joel Dunning uh, do tune in next time to the podcast as we leave you uh, with Diego's world travels